Let's, let's pray together. Father, in the matchless name of the one-of-a-kind Son of God, Jesus, we ask that you would be present, you'd be here, you speak to our hearts, you guide, you lead, you prepare us for the mission you have for us. God, what we need today is not more church. What we need today is not more scripture. What we need today is an encounter with the Holy One. And if we have that, if you speak to us, never let us be the same again. We put it all in your hands today. Speak through these weak vocal cords, through this flesh that I call myself. But make much of yourself, God, and bring glory to the name of Jesus. And it's in that name we pray. Amen. Amen. We are going to be looking at the book of Luke, chapter 10. I'm just setting you up there. That's where we're going. If you want to go there ahead of times, um, that's fine. Uh, it's an honor to be here. This is my home, Westridge. If Westridge didn't exist, Vertical Church in downtown Atlanta wouldn't exist, so I am family. Your pastor is my pastor, and like family, um, family can tell us stuff everybody else can't. So you just got to get past it. I'm family. I can talk about my brother. You can't. That's how it works. But since I'm family, I'm going to get in there, okay? I'm going to do it whether you like it or not, but it makes me feel better if you say okay. I knew that was going to happen. I'm okay with it anyway. Let's go on. So we're looking at Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, there's a very interesting set of circumstances that happen. It starts with Jesus sending out his disciples to advance the kingdom. They have to preach, teach, heal, etc. And he tells them, hey, Give to anybody that helps you. You know, if they don't want you, knock the dust off your feet, go on. They are royally screwed. If they don't accept you, it would have been better for Sodom and Gomorrah than Nim. That's the reality. They go out, they do it. Then we get to the story we're going to talk about in a moment, the parable we're going to get to. Then on the back end, you get... Mary and Martha, Jesus is there. Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening with the disciples, which was kind of radical for that time. Martha's working in the kitchen. Martha is like tattling on her sister. Why don't you tell my sister to come help me in the kitchen? Because you know it's hot and it's a lot of y'all and my feet hurt. And you know what I mean, all that stuff. And I bet she was imagining Jesus was going to go, girl, go work in the kitchen. But Jesus was like, I can take a few fish and some loaves and feed everybody. So your sister has the thing that really matters. You need to get a grip. So you have on the front end this story of Jesus sending his disciples out to do service, to work. And then you have on the back end of this chapter, you have the story of Jesus saying that there's nothing better than being in the presence of God. And there's a parable in the middle that anchors them both because very often what we do is we like to either talk about work in service of God or we like to talk about being with God in the presence of God, but both are together and united. We can't just... Say we love God. We have to also serve and love people. 
They're not opposed. They complement one another. That was an amen moment. Y'all missed it. There will be more. And the story right in the middle goes there. There's a young lawyer guy that comes and talks to Jesus and he asks him a question. He says, okay, what do I got to do to get into heaven? What do I got to do to get eternal life? Jesus has been asked a question similar to this and you'll see with the response the kind of question this is. The guy asks, hey, what do I got to do? And Jesus kind of throws it back on him. Okay, what do you think? What does the scripture say? He says, okay, love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, and my neighbor as myself. Jesus goes, right, do it. And can you imagine just sitting there like, I thought it was going to be more complicated. The other time Jesus gave this answer was when a guy came and said, what matters most? What's the most important thing of all the scriptures? He got the same answer. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Two different questions, but they boil down to the essence of the gospel, to the essence of the message, to the essence of grace, to the essence of everything. All of life hangs on these two things, loving God with everything and then loving your neighbor. Some people are very content loving God, but a lot of people don't want to love their neighbor. There are other people that love loving their neighbor, but they don't want to have anything to do with God. But all of life comes down loving your neighbor and loving God. You get that, you get it. So this smart Alec, lawyer, goes, well, but who's my neighbor? I know Jesus just wanted to pluck him into eternity. Just. <laughs> and then we get to where we're going today. Verse 30. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest, by chance, I love that, by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. Everybody say compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. And he said, the one who showed mercy, to, showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. This is, of course, the good Samaritan. Don't forget the lead in, Jesus sending out the disciples. And don't forget the tail in, Jesus telling Martha that it's more important to be in the presence of God. This tension still exists. But what we're going is this idea of being a neighbor. Love God above everything else. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love your neighbor. Now, a priest at this time 
coming down from where he was coming, he would have been up in Jerusalem serving in the temple. Um, there's a particular way that people would walk to go to get around Samaria. Samaria was um, not a very nice place. It was the equivalent of a ghetto, and people would go long ways around. Jesus stopped there one time, talked to a woman at the well, saved the whole town, and his disciples were like, what? We got to go there? So people would go this way, but robbers would sit and they would ambush them on the road. If you were by yourself, you would get ambushed, beat up, and robbed potentially on this particular road. Jerusalem was up high and you would be coming down the way. So the priests coming from the presence of God. You see, going up, the priest would generally have to go through rituals to keep himself ceremonially clean. He'd have to be clean so he wouldn't want to touch a dead body. So that may give you an excuse for why going up you wouldn't help somebody, but there's a greater law of mercy in Scripture that would compel him to do something. So your ritual says do this, mercy says do this. Mercy trumps ritual. But this priest wasn't going up to worship. He was coming down from worship. Is it interesting that we could go be in the presence of God and then walk by someone who's in need and not care. When everything hangs on loving God and loving people. You just got done doing something that says you love God, but you didn't care enough to love a person in need. The Levite didn't, wasn't as bound to the tradition as the priest because his responsibility wasn't primarily in the holy place with God, but the Levite did the same thing. Now, I imagine this Levite was thinking, well, if I stop to help you, then I potentially would get robbed myself. And I'm not very happy about being ceremonially unclean, but I, I find it interesting that they didn't even check on the man. They walked on the other side. They went way around the problem and avoided someone who was hurting and struggling. Neither one of them showed basic mercy that should come out of loving God. Neither one of them had actions that demonstrated that the God that they served would move them to do something. Now, before I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you what I'm not telling you. What I'm not saying is, and what Jesus is not saying in this parable is, that our works make us good for God. Our works make us God ready. We can work ourselves to heaven. He is not saying that. He is not saying that. He is not saying you can work real hard and get the grace of God. No, God's grace is a gift that comes in spite of your work, in spite of your ugliness, in spite of your situation, just because God is predisposed to love you because even though the rest of us barely like you, he sees something so lovable in you that he gives it for free. So that's not what we're saying. But when you have received the love, the grace, the compassion of God, you should be lovable, compassionate, gracious to those who are in need. It's the fruit of a life that has met God. Not 
what gets you to God. It's when God has impacted you, you can't help but be generous and gracious to others. That was another amen moment. You guys are slow, but we'll get there. So he's ignored by people whose faith should be compelling them to go. But one of them, at least we know the priest, he used probably his position and his religious nature to keep him away from compassion. At least him, but probably both. I think it's probably both because Jesus could have used just any old Jew, but he used two people who should know better in his example. But the Bible says that Jesus said the Samaritan showed himself to be a neighbor to this man. He proved himself. He had the evidence. That's why we said we're not putting the cart before the horse. Then you just get a horse with a dented face. It's not works before grace. It's grace, so I work. But this man proved that he was a neighbor by caring for this man. You see, what I'm getting to is what we say we believe only matters when it's matched with what we do with what we believe. What we say we believe doesn't matter if our actions don't follow what we say we believe. There are far too many people proclaiming the glory of God, but they can't lift a finger to help people that are in need of their God. That's the reality. Far too many Christians and not enough Jesus followers. It's something to put down to say that, you know, you went to church and you, you look the part, but when time comes to show who you really are, we can be missing in action, singing our hallelujahs, but we can care less about the condition of other people. You see, that's the problem. So many of us are, are hearers of the word, but we're not doers. Church is something to do. Being a Christian is something that happens on Sunday. But if I can't see your faith by your actions, then I wonder if you have the faith that you say you have. Can we see who you are by the way you prove yourself as a neighbor to somebody else. Why? Because Jesus said, this is the most important thing, that you love God and love people. So if we're not neighbors to people, then do we really love the God we say we love? If you can't say amen, ouch is appropriate. I want my proclamation to match my passion. I want what I say to be matched by my life. And it doesn't mean I'm perfect with it and I got it all laid out and I figured this thing out. But Lord, help me to be consistent with what I say I believe. See, that's the real mark of maturity spiritually. It's not how, long, it's not how many years you have in. 
It's what you do with what you believe. There's a lot of folk that think like, they, you know, we can look at them and they, they play the mature Christian game, but the truth is they've been living the same Christian year over and over and over again because they never use anything that they've learned. We have to be better than that. We have to be better than that. Lesson number one that we get out of this, this story. I must see and be moved over the brokenness of, of others. I must see. I actually have to check in and be moved by the brokenness of others. Both the Levite and the priest didn't get close enough to even see what was going on with this man to be moved. They were too good to stop, to check in. Even after leaving Jerusalem, the place of worship, you are too good to stop and sit down and to check on somebody who's struggling. And this wasn't even, Jews at this time dressed different than everybody else. So they knew he was one of their brothers. And they were still too good. But sometimes our religious ways of functioning keep us distant from those who are in need. Too often we allow rhetoric and conjecture and secondhand perspectives to excuse us from seeing the need of people who are formed in the image of God. Now let me say this. When God created man, he breathed into him. Ruah, he breathed into him, formed him in his own image. That means that every person made is made in the image of God. We, when we look in one another's eyes, we should see a reflection of the God who created us in the eyes of other people. No matter if they're a good image bearer or a horrible image bearer, when we look at one another, we should see God reflected because there is no person that ever breathed a breath that wasn't made in his image. But what we do in our immaturity spiritually is we like to see people as different than ourselves. And right after we begin to see people as different than ourselves, it very quickly moves to seeing people less than ourselves. This man on the side of the road wasn't worthy of the priest or the Levite's attention. But the Samaritan, I imagine, understood I could have been coming down here by myself, and but by the grace of God, that would have been me. So how dare I not help him when I could have been in the same situation? Are you getting the analogy that I'm bringing here? We can look in the eyes of people and forget that but by the grace of God, that could have been me. But we shake our heads and we suck our teeth because you should have done something different. You should have been more prepared. You should have did this. I came from a hard background. You should have got yourself out. How come you didn't do this? And we go all that route excusing ourselves from helping other people and looking past them when they are formed and shaped in the image of a holy God. But we don't stop long enough to look in their eyes to see the God that we should be loving most reflected in his creation. See, it keeps us from looking at others as those and them. And we look at them and we go, that's me. And I'm going to love you with the same love I'd want if I was in your situation. 
That's what the Samaritan did. That's what the Samaritan did. He's somebody who had no responsibility to this man. But he looked at him and he had compassion on him. And he showed himself a neighbor. He didn't excuse himself from loving an image bearer of God. He didn't see this man as something different than himself. I'll never forget, um, we do an event called Burgers and Backpacks in the community. And uh, this event, uh, we have thousands of backpacks. Our, in our community, um, if you've ever been down, I, I passed a vertical church downtown Atlanta. And if you've ever been to our community, um, you've been there. You just don't know you have because you've gone to the Georgia Dome. You know that scary community across the street that it's free parking, but you won't park your car there. <laughs> Which is good policy, by, by the way. Um, that's our community. 60% of all murders that happen in Georgia happen in that community. That's a weird place to put a church. Where? Where people need God and are broken? Just a thought. We do an event called Burgers and Backpacks. Why? Because if kids are going to get out of that situation, the thing they need to access most is their educational opportunities. But if a parent doesn't know how they're going to put food on the table, then they're really not thinking about backpacks and supplies. So we're like, you know what? We will help make sure you have an opportunity to better your life. So we do thousands of backpacks to help kids get an opportunity to access education around them so they might have a chance to have a better life. If you're interested, you can go to Westridge's website. You can sign up. We need volunteers and support and everything else. We do this event. It's exhausting for me. It only lasts a couple hours, but I work for days on the front end, lifting, toting, having bounce houses and getting tables. It wears me all the way out. And at the end of the event, it's like in like the heat of July. And at the end of it, I'm ready to go home. Well... This is one moment, this, I'm, it's like the end of the day, I am sweated out. I'm sweating up here. So imagine what it's like on a blacktop in the heat in the July. So I am sweated out, I look a mess, and this woman begins to talk to me. Now let me explain this woman. Her teeth was missing, um, her hair was roughly done. Um, she didn't smell the greatest. You could tell I know crack addiction. I lived in a house that became a crack house while I lived there, so I know crack addiction. And she is scratching and shaking her head and itching and scratching and shaking her head and itching. And, and, and she just, she's manic at this moment. And I'm like, it's time for that next fix. I know what this, I know what you have. And she begins to talk to me for 10 minutes. Her mouth is moving 100 miles an hour and I'm trying to take it in. And, and she's just talking and talking and talking and scratching and talking and talking. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm so tired. I am so tired. I want to go home. I want to go home. But I'm locked in with her. I'm right there. One of, uh, one of our members came up to me and she said, um, she gave me the, like, was over her shoulder and gave me the look like, you want me to help you? Because <laughs> she had watched this young lady just talk and talk and talk. And it was a moment. She works with people who have addictions and people who have mental health issues. So she knows crazy when she sees it. And this was a crazy moment. And I'm just sitting there like, oh my God, help me. But I looked, I was like, no, nah, I gave her a look off. Like, I got it. I can endure this. And I'm sitting there and I'm enduring and I'm enduring. And she goes for another 10 minutes, just scratching and talking. And when I'm telling you, she's talking so fast, everything's coming up. And I'm like, okay, I think I caught that. And she begins to tell me her life story and her time on the streets and the fact that she had sold her body 
body and all the horrible things she had done. And then finally, in the last 30 seconds of this very excruciating conversation, she pauses and looks at me in my eyes and says, I know I don't look good. I know I'm a mess. I know I'm a wreck. And then she slows all the way down and says, but you listen to me, pastor. Thank you. Because I was one of the first people that said that they loved God, that stopped long enough, loved her well enough to give her the dignity of personhood to actually look in her eyes and hear and think and care about her situation. How many Christians go by her, judging her, looking past her, thinking she's not good enough for a conversation, let alone a prayer, a hug? What is wrong with us? But we do it every day, don't we? Oh, I'm the only one? I wanted to go home. But she deserved better. And I realized, but by the grace of God, that would have been me. She's not different or less than me. That is me. I see my God reflected in those dim eyes. And I want to love him as I love her. I don't want to be the priest and the Levite that's too, too spiritual or too busy to care. It's so easy to see people as different and less, isn't it? Isn't it? People that don't look like us, don't speak like us, don't act like us, have a different background. It's hard to judge somebody that you're loving well. It's hard to judge someone that you are busy loving well. Second lesson, we must invest our time and energy in showing compassion to the hurting. Invest our time and energy. This guy invested his time and energy. He stopped where he was going. He actually checked on this man. He poured oil and wine in his wounds. And that may not seem very clean right now, but back then that was about as good as it had. they had. And he gave it to this man. He actually put him on his animal and walked with him. And I don't know if you've ever seen someone on an animal that can barely hold themselves up. I haven't either. I'm from an urban environment. I don't know nothing about no horses. But, you know, I've watched a lot of movies and it seems very tough. And walked with this man. Got him help. He could have done anything to not help this man, but he spent time helping him. He spent energy helping him. He did what anybody would want done. Love your neighbor as yourself, remember? If you were in a bad way, beaten, bruised, broken, or how about this, if you were homeless or addicted, wouldn't you want somebody to care about you enough to stop? doesn't matter what they've gone through to get in that situation. All that matters is you have what they need to get them through the next moment. And we have a responsibility to not just love God, but to love the people made in his image. 
I've discovered that many churches and many church members are way too busy to care. And you know what? Not helping them says a lot more about you than it does them. It says a lot more. All the thoughts that we get in our heads, you know what? There's a lot more being said about you in that moment than, than about them. Because we may be singing hallelujah, but our lives are saying, I don't care one bit. I could care less about your situation. Now, we don't say that out of our mouths because we're nice. We're cute. We're Christian. But the reality is that's what our lives say when our proclamation doesn't match our actions. And I even think about this when it comes to our kids. We don't, we don't teach our children to be compassionate to others. We can break our necks and make sure that they get to PTA and that, that we go to PTA and that we take them to soccer and we do all the nice things and they have all they need. But what kind of people, see, we can get mad at, talking to a friend of mine, we can get mad at millennials for, you know, they're, you know, whatever they are, you know, there's a whole bunch of videos out there about millennials. And yes, they can be frustrating. I work with them every day. Um, but the reality is, who made them? We were the ones that told them their lives are more important than everybody else's. We were the ones that let them know you don't even have to go to church if you have a soccer game. We were the ones that told them it's all about them when we gave them everything they could ever want rather than giving them a work ethic to get their own. Amen. You see, the thing I love about West Ridge is it's one of the most generous churches I know. I watched as a young lady from this church from this church, heard about us doing our Burgers and Backpack event. And she was so inspired because she was a reader, she started collecting books for kids in this community, kids that she had never met but just moved in her heart. And she collected hundreds of books. And not only did she show up and give the books away, I looked over and she had kids smaller than her that didn't look anything like her, and she was reading them books. And I was thinking, that's what it means. That's what it means to love your neighbor. That's what it means to raise up a child so that they can live out these things and not be the Pharisees we are. Blew me away. But you know, I learned this lesson when I was a kid. David Jones. David Jones was our town bum. He was drunk. He looked horrible. had these bloodshot red eyes. Every time I saw him, either he had a bottle in his hand or he, uh, he stunk to high heaven. I'll never forget, I had a sandwich. It was the best sandwich I had ever had in my life. I remember that sandwich, and I'm from the land of good sandwiches. And this sandwich was amazing. I don't know if I got the right bun to meat ratio. The condiments were just, it was delicious. And I walked by David Jones and I never forget, I'm no older than eight. David Jones has been dead for 30 years. He was in his 70s. And I looked at this man and he looked me in my eyes and he said, Please, I'm hungry. Please, I'm hungry. See, in that moment, he didn't care that I was a child. I had enough power to help him. And I'm thinking to myself, This is the best sandwich ever. You couldn't have asked me on a day I had something other than this sandwich. 
But my eight-year-old self, for the first time in my life, looked in this elderly man's eyes who had lived a harder life than I could ever imagine. And I didn't just see old bum David Jones. I saw a human being. I wasn't a Christian. We didn't grow up spiritual. But something in me felt like it was wrong to be able to meet this man's need and to ignore him. So I gave him my sandwich and he devoured it. I imagine he hadn't eaten in days. And how many people walked by him? You getting what I'm saying? Loving God and loving people, last point, we must be willing to financially help those who are in need. Financially help those who are in need. This Samaritan <coughs> didn't just help this guy. Now, I didn't say this earlier, but the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. I mean, it was, they, Jews considered Samaritans like half-bloods or, or, or mud-bloods for your Harry Potter folks. No? Okay, the Montagues and the Capulets. Some? Okay. No? No? We're in the South. So, um, the Hatfields and the McCoys? Or still, I got a few more. Okay. Um, the Jets and the Sharks. Some urban folks, Crips and the Bloods. Democrats and Republicans. Fox News, CNN. All right, I got it right now. But he showed compassion on this man. And when we talk about financially, we all get tight when you talk about money, sex, or politics. But this man spent his money on someone in need. You know what I'm convinced of? Most church folks, you know the biggest barrier to real generosity with church folks is tithing. I'm not against tithing at all. I think generosity trumps tithing, but tithing's not bad. But I think too many of us, we have a I gave it the office mentality. I tithe, leave me alone. Some people, it's probably the person sitting next to you, has thought, well, I gave at church and I helped support people going to Burkina Faso and I helped do all these things we did. I'm good. I gave my money. The church does it. I win. But Jesus wasn't talking about what was happening up at the temple. He was talking about the individual responsibility to care for somebody else. For some of us, the tithe is a stumbling block because we feel like we've done enough. The tithe is the beginning of generosity. It is not the end. Can God... ask you to give up some of the money that he gave you the job, the business, and everything else to start, the money he placed in your pocket, can he ask you to be generous to someone else? Or are you going to be too busy? Or too thinking about your future and your kids? You know what I've discovered? Some of the most blessed people I know are some of the most generous people I know. Why? Because... 
Give and it shall come back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. And sometimes we're so busy holding on to what God has given us that God can't give us anymore because he knows he can't trust us with it. Okay, I didn't plan on what. I never forget. Uh, well, I started shifting in my, my perspective around giving and generosity uh, a little while back when I read the beginning of this chapter and it said, Jesus, he, he told his disciples, he said, all right, um, give to all. And I used to come up with reasons for why I couldn't give. I don't know what they're going to do with it. They may do it, use drugs, blah, blah, blah. And, but he said, give to all. So I started keeping small amounts of money on me, um, just little bits, just so if somebody asks, can I have a dollar? I can give it just so I can actually meet the scripture so I can be there. You know, I can't, meet, I can't fix everything, but I may be able to do something. My wife doesn't want to give money, so she started having these little care packages and little things she can give away. Well, we were here. I was here in November, and I told the story. We were giving away food at Thanksgiving and how, we were so busy giving away food, we didn't even have food for our own Thanksgiving. One of people sitting here in this room was like, I feel like God wants me to give you guys a Thanksgiving meal. Bought it on Sunday, gave it to my wife. She has a whole meal sitting in the vehicle. She's driving home. She stopped at the light around the corner from the church, stopped at the light. And the person there at that light um, knocked on the window. A woman, I don't know if she had children, but she, she was saying her and the children, they were hungry. My wife went, This was for you. It wasn't for us. This was for you. And it took a while to do all that. So she stopped at the light and she's imagining she's about to get cussed out when the guy gets out of the car behind and come up to the window and you just know you're, going, you're about to get it. This is down where we are and you held me up and I'm going somewhere. And the person knocked on the window and just said, I saw what you did. That was amazing. You see, when we love those around us. It speaks of who we actually are. And it communicates what we really believe. And when other people see it, they stand in awe of not just us, but our God, because we show our faith. You don't just talk about your faith, you show it. I love God and I love people and nothing's going to stop me from doing anything less because I see him reflected in their eyes. Here's the big idea. We reveal our love for God and how well we care for those who are broken and hurting and are in need. It's revealed. It's not doing it to earn anything from God. You just show that you are overwhelmed with the fact that he gave you something because you could be the one in need. But because you have, you can give. So I don't know what your response is today. Very basic. I know this is a big thing and it's a hard message, but maybe it's as simple as going to Westridge's website and signing up for one of the projects coming up. So giving up your time, your energy, maybe you're like, hey, my time is booked, but I got some money and I can sign up. God may be speaking whatever he's speaking to you, but don't be guilty of being the priest or the Levite and showing what you really believe. Be the person that shows what they believe by doing something with what they believe. Move. Find a way to be a blessing to someone else. Find a way to be a good neighbor. Look in somebody's eyes and don't see them as any different than yourself.
the good thing is you're at Westridge. Westridge is one of the best places to find opportunity to serve one another. But Westridge wouldn't have to do campaigns if everybody took it on themselves individually to kick in and step up because it's all of our responsibility to be good neighbors, to love God, and to love others. Father, we thank you for this day, for this moment, for this challenge. We ask that you would help us love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. But God, please let us love our neighbor as ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.